Well, here we are kicking off Thanksgiving week. I, I love this week. It's my favorite week of the year. Uh, I, I love this holiday, everything about it. I, I thought it was kind of funny, though, as we're kicking off Thanksgiving week, my series is winding gratitude down because we're ending a series that we've been in a couple of weeks now on gratitude. Now, we, we started off, and remember, I added a word to gratitude that maybe a lot of us hadn't thought about putting with that word, and, and that's the word protection. I, I don't know that we thought about that we're being thankful that that protection is connected with that. And we've said that, that being thankful protects our relationship with others, that being thankful protects our outlook on life. And today we're going to say that, that, protect, or that gratitude protects our relationship with God. Now you might be wondering, do I, do I protect my relationship with God? Do, do I need to do that? Well, I don't know, that is maybe seemed a little bit different, a little bit odd to think about that, but maybe think about it this way. Have you ever had a thought like, uh, hey God, where are you? What, what are you doing? Lord, why don't you answer? Those are real questions, aren't they? Those are real questions. They're, they're tough questions. They're questions that if you're caring right now, and I, I just can't help but imagine in a room this size, there's some folks in here, those, those questions are very heavy. Those, those questions are very current. Well, those questions take all the fun out of Thanksgiving week. They, they, they take the joy out of that day. But they are questions that, yes, a people of faith, We'll ask. I think you can see that, that some of the greatest people of faith ever have struggled with, have asked those kinds of questions. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you today that the greatest person of faith who ever lived asked those kinds of questions. Now, you might be wondering, can, do we know that? I mean, do, do we know who the greatest person, has that been measured? Do we know who that person is? Well, yeah, I mean, we could toss some names out and debate it for a bit. I'm just going to go with what Jesus said. Y'all do what you want. But you remember that Jesus actually pointed out a greatest ever? Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, he says, Of those born of a woman, there has been nobody greater than the person of who? John the Baptist. Now, you know, it doesn't say exactly why he's referring to John that way, but I know this, while the word thankful's not in there or the word uh, faith is not in there, I, I know this, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That, that there's no chance for God to find our lives pleasing. There, there's no chance for God to look at you and me and say, wow, did, did you know that you could do that? Wouldn't that be kind of cool to think, man, I could make God say, Wow. Now, whatever I would do to make God say, wow, faith is going to be involved with it. It's going to be a step of faith when God says, wow. So whatever would lead Jesus to say this about John, faith has to be involved in that. But now that is pretty cool for Jesus to say that about somebody, isn't it? Especially if you're that somebody. I mean, that goes pretty well on the resume, right? Jesus said I was greatest ever. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Now, why, why would Jesus pick somebody out like that? Why, why would he say that? You know, a little backstory on the, on the relationship between Jesus and, and John the Baptist. They're both born about the same time. There's a little bit of air of, of miracle about how they're born. Their, uh, their, their mothers are related. Now, now with mirror, I mean, with Jesus, we know a little bit more of the miracle, right? I mean, we know that there was this angel 
Remember the angel Gabriel? Who shows up and says to Mary, you're going to have a really super special kid. Like son of God. And you're going to have him a really super special way. Virgin birth. So there's that whole miracle and that, that whole way Jesus entered the world. But a few months before Gabriel, that angel, showed up in Mary's life and said that, he went to a guy by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah was married to Elizabeth, who is a cousin, a relative of Mary's. And so he goes to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a kid. Now, the reason that's kind of special, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, they're, they're, how do you say, up in years? They, they, they passed the baby-making years? You know, that, that, that ship passed for them. They, they never had a child. And, 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 and so, you know, that just wasn't going to happen in their lives. And now all of a sudden, here's an angel, which I'm guessing, you know, that changes your day, right? You got hey, that angel visited me today, oddly enough. So, so there's Gabriel saying to Zechariah, you're going to have a son. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord, for the Messiah. Now, folks, you and I, I think, I mean, if we know much, if we studied the Bible at all, we know that's a pretty big announcement, right? I mean, that's like maybe, maybe a really, really big announcement. That's a special thing. I think, though, if you're not Jewish and you haven't lived in the hope of a Messiah for millennia, I don't think you and I can grasp what Gabriel just said to Zechariah. I don't think we can grasp that that was the announcement of all announcements. That was the biggest sentence ever uttered on this planet. And I'm just trying to imagine Zechariah as each word of that sentence unfolds because it just gets bigger and bigger for him. I mean, the first, you're going to have a son. What? What? I I'm going to be a dad. I'm going to, I'm going to have a son. Oh my God, wait till Elizabeth. This is so... What? He's going to... Wait, did you say he's going to do what? He's going to prepare the... what? My son is going to be a fulfillment of prophecy? My son is going to play some huge, big, important role in, in your economy, in your... What? Did you say the Messiah? And that's where he just falls out. Here's where he should be. Right, you're going to be praising God. This is going to be the best Thanksgiving ever. We're pregnant. I'm going to have a boy. He says, thank you for the son. And he can't get off the fact that the Messiah's coming. And, and both Zechariah, Elizabeth, you see these long prayers. Thank you for our baby and the Messiah. I mean, this is like the, the biggest thing ever. And, and, and so as a matter of fact, so, so Elizabeth gets pregnant first and then it's a couple months later, she hears about Mary and, and she goes and man, you know, you know, Sharon starts like, Gabriel, what did he look like when he came to you? What was he wearing? You know, so there's Sharon. Don't you know these two women had a special bond? I mean, you think about what they're carrying in their womb and how that was delivered and the story and the angel and, and you know, they didn't live in the same town. And, and I don't know how much they, they got together, but I just can't help but believe with that bond, they would have gotten together over the years, don't you think? And, and these boys, once born, would have, would have grown up, and you know their moms told them the story about Gabriel, their moms would have told them about who their cousin is. I mean, that would have been shared with them over and over and over, because that's what parents do, right? We tell stories over and over and over. And they would have been sharing that. So... So Jesus and John grew up. I, I don't know how much they engaged with each other growing up, but I, I know they did. I know their moms are telling them this story. So fast forward, okay? Now we're approaching the age of 30. 
And, and John the Baptist is, he is, he is huge in the nation of, of Israel. He has become this tremendous uh, prophet, preacher, baptizing people. He's an incredible person. He's a little bit peculiar. It's just kind of odd because normally we want to keep a little bit of distance from the funny people, right? And, and John was a, a little bit peculiar. He, he kind of wore some funny clothes. He, he stayed off out in the wilderness. If you were going to hear John preach, you were going to where John was out in the wilderness. And, and the dude ate grasshoppers. I'm not talking about chocolate covered that you got from Nordstrom. I'm not talking about some chili hatch flavored grasshopper. I'm talking about just straight up grasshopper, just eating grasshoppers, okay? A, a little bit of a different. And yet with those peculiarities, people flocked to him. I mean, by the thousands to hear his message and what he was saying. You know, folks, I, I really believe in a lot of people. Man, I want to know God. Is there a God? Is he real? Does he know me? Does he care about me? Can I have relate with him? Can I know that? I, I just think in every person in our soul, we're born with that desire. But it just seems like once man, mankind adds the recipe for discovering this God, we're just wading through a, 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 a mountain of religiosity. And boy, that religiosity throws a lot of people off the path, doesn't it? And I just can't help but think they're going out there and they're seeing John. What are they drawn by? I just think they see and hear something so genuine and authentic. They, they, this dude's talking about the real God. He's talking about a real way to, to know him and love him and experience him and, and live for him. I mean, it, this is just real. And, and so John has become, he is the figure in the nation of Israel. There's nobody bigger. There's nobody more talked about. I mean, in America, he's got, he's got prime A celebrity status. Okay, there wouldn't even be a second place. And so he's out there doing what John the Baptist does. And one day he looks up and Jesus is standing there on the bank of the Jordan. And you just have to imagine, almost like this, it just kind of stopped. And he, and he points and he says, behold... The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Y'all, y'all, it's time to stop looking at me. It's time to stop listening. There it is. There's the answer. He can take care of our sin. He can pay for our sin. He can, as we just sang a moment ago, He can make us righteous before God. What an announcement. I mean, remember, he's the big celebrity. He's the big name. And he says, it's time to stop looking at me. There it is. There's the answer. Now, he says that in John 1.29. What's interesting, you roll down a few verses later, verse 33. And, and John says, now, I didn't know him. What? That's kind of a head scratcher, isn't it? Why, why would John the Baptist say he didn't know? I mean, would you? well, yeah, you do. There, there's no way y'all didn't. You're, you're related. Your moms, the stories. Y'all saw each other at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Jesus' birthday, right? I, I, I mean, they're, they're, how do you, how, what do you mean you don't know? But I think what's happening there. Because we are looking at just these, these massive announcements rolling out in the Gospels. And I think what John is saying there, because some of these people might have known their relationship. They might have known Mary. They might have known Elizabeth and cousins and Jesus and John. And, and he's, oh, you're, yeah, it's just your favorite cousin. 
Oh, this is somebody you really... And I think what John is trying to say is, listen, what I need you to know and understand about him is not based on my knowledge. It's not based on my discovery. It's not based on my relationship. What I'm saying to you is based on heaven. Because while we are told about Gabriel visiting Mary and and Zechariah and this special revelation, while we don't know how or where it happened, we do know that John got another visit from heaven. And he was told, you're going to see the Messiah. And when you see the Messiah, this is how you'll know. The Holy Spirit of God will come down out of heaven and light on him in the form of a dove. Remember that part of the story? And so I think what John is saying is, listen, I don't want you anchored to me. I don't want you anchored to this is what I said. I want you anchored to what heaven said. I want you thinking about what heaven revealed. And so I think that's what he's saying is, hey, listen, this isn't about I know Jesus. This is what heaven is saying about Jesus. And boy, just as soon as those lines are rolling off his lips, his ministry... His, his celebrity status just tanks. I mean, it just immediate decline and, and free fall. And I mean, that's, I mean, there's a logical reason, but it's not like he's failed or something bad has happened. I mean, Jesus is here now, right? I mean, that, that's where I need to be going. That's what I, I need to be hearing. You know, John had some disciples. I, I mean, disciple in that time was an, another phrase, another word for a really good friend that just believed you kind of got the answers and I'm going to follow you around and figure life out. And so some guys were following John the Baptist around, figuring out life. And they come to him and they're kind of, hey, they're feeling for their friend John, right? Say, hey, this popularity of this Jesus guy, what, what, what's happening here? And, and John delivers one of the most profound verses in the Bible. And I laugh because I just, it dawned on me, I think I say the most profound verse in the Bible about every Sunday, don't I? I mean, really, why would you ever trust that I'm actually giving you the most profound? I, I, you said that last week, but I mean it this week, okay? Because here it is, John responds to his disciples, and he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Again, I don't know the entirety of all that Jesus was thinking when he said, this guy, best ever, greatest ever, but I think the fact that John could come up with a sentence like this that this was his mentality, that this is the way he was living life, I think that's also a part of what Jesus is thinking when he says, guy's best ever. I mean, folks, that statement, th- this is the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And you think about, before Christ is in my life, what am I living for? I'm living to make me big. I, I want my experiences to be big. I want my agenda to be big. And to be quite honest with you, I want you to be about it making my experiences big. I want you to be about making my agenda big. Because it's about me. I, I want to I have this for me. But as Christ comes into my life, that, that has to change. And how good that is. Because making me big is so temporal and so broken. But when Christ is made big, it becomes eternal and it becomes perfect. And so I'm now serving. We're now serving what makes Jesus' agenda big, what makes his desires big, what what makes his experience for us big. And John got that. John got that. Not long after he said that, he um, he was arrested. 
John was a bit of a rebel rouser, you know. I mean, guy ate grasshoppers. That's got to put you in a bad mood. You know, he would call out religious leaders. You guys aren't helping people find God. What, what are you about? You're, you're leading them astray. He'd call out political leaders. He called out one too many <laughs> and got put in jail. And he's in jail and, and he's waiting what is probably going to be an execution. And, and he does, in fact, get his head cut off. But he's in jail and, and he's waiting for this. And, and some of his friends, his disciples, that they come to see him, you know, bring him, bring him a blanket, bring him some food, you know, just minister to him there in jail. And he says to them, Hey, y'all, go, go ask Jesus if he's the one. What? After all this, why would John be asking if Jesus is the one? I mean, have y'all heard what I've been saying? Do you realize that at this point in the gospel story, there may not be anybody on the planet other, other than maybe Mary, maybe Mary too, but other than John that knows better who Jesus is? Nobody knows better who Jesus is than John. And now he's saying, are, 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 are you... You know, I, I, I guess when you're sitting in jail, you got time to think, right? Maybe you got time to doubt. I mean, shoot, if this thing's going to cost my life, I won't be sure. I won't be sure, right? If, you, if it's going to cost your life, you won't be sure. I want to read this story. I, I, I want you to see this. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. If you have a Bible with you or, or uh, an app on your phone, dial it up. Matthew chapter 11. And I want to begin reading in verse 2. Matthew, first book of the, the New Testament. You'll find Malachi to the left, Mark and Luke to the to the right, if you're kind of thumbing through there. Matthew chapter 11, let me begin reading in verse 2. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are, are you the one who is to come, or, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, I, I think the way you and I read that, and I don't, I don't mean to imply that I'm thinking for you, but I, I mean, we read that and think, okay, so Jesus just said, go back and tell them all the really cool stuff you see me doing. Go back and tell John, that dude has all these tricks and seems to have like supernatural power and he can do this and he can do that. And, and that would be evidence, right? And yeah, that is what's happening. <laughs> that, that is what he's saying. But there's more than that. As a matter of fact, there's much more than that that would probably mean something more to John the Baptist than any of us. Remember, John is the fulfillment of prophecy. The Old Testament said, I'm sending a Messiah. And when that Messiah comes, there'll be a forerunner, Isaiah 40, by the way. There'll be a forerunner. There'll be somebody who goes and prepares the way. And John was told by his mom, who was told by the angel Gabriel, you are that person. So John knew prophecy. John knew everything about the Messiah. John knew what was to, we were to be looking for in this Messiah. And so he would have known prophecy and what Jesus is doing here is more than just saying, hey, look what you saw today. 
He's saying, I am the fulfillment of prophecy. Let me, if you, turn to Isaiah real quickly. If you can turn to the middle of your Bible and find Psalms, then go to the right a few books. Isaiah 35, and I want you to hear a couple. I'm also going to go to chapter 61. I want you to hear a couple of these prophecies. Now, in the opening part of chapter 35, the Israelites are getting beat up. They're losing. Life is horrible. There's enemies. There's death. And, and, and the prophet Isaiah is saying, listen, God's going to bring an answer. There is going to one day be a Messiah. And, and here's how you'll know you're looking at the Messiah. Isaiah 35 verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Jesus just said? Let me, let me add to that list. It's, a, it's another passage, but they go together. Chapter 61, same book, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So, so the disciples come back to the jail, and, and John's waiting the answer. He, he stands up and he goes to the bar. What did he say? And they said, he said this, and And he starts reciting it. Folks, it wouldn't have taken him two statements before John would have clued in. Oh, he's reciting prophecy. And and I mean, I just know in his mind he's going, check, 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 check. And then they stopped. And I kind of see John going, that's it? That's all he said? Y'all didn't forget something. No, no, that's everything he said. That's what he said, right? Yeah, that's what he said. Did you realize in all those things, there was one thing left out? Isaiah said, when the Messiah comes, this is what you'll see. And John knows what to be looking for, what to check off. But Jesus left one thing off. At the end of Isaiah 61, verse 1, it said, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison. You think John was thinking about that line? Sitting in jail? About to die? You think it stood out to him that that one wasn't repeated? Now, are are we suggesting that Jesus actually didn't fulfill the prophecy or fulfill all of the prophecy? Not at all. Folks, while there are physical application to everything we've read, ultimately all these things are spiritual in nature, right? Right? I mean, Jesus is going to raise the dead. And he did. He raised Lazarus. He raised that little 12-year-old girl. But do you know what happened to both of them? They died again, right? They died again, just like you are, just like I am, just like people do every single day. They die again. Ultimately, the big answer I need is not to be resurrected from a physical death. I need to be resurrected from a spiritual death. I need to be resurrected spiritually and physically so I can live forever. And that's what Jesus does, as well as open my blind eyes to God, as well as release me from the prison of my sin and my rebellion, release me from the the prison of my death. So there's the spiritual application is what the Messiah does. And he does all those things, yes, with all of them having physical application also. 
But I don't know, when they came back and they started rolling down that checklist of things the Messiah is going to do and, 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 and they left this line off, I seriously doubt John was going, well, I know there's both a physical and a spiritual way this is going to work out. I'm guessing he desperately wanted something physical about that, don't you? Hey, God, I thought this was going to... I thought this was going to work out different. I thought if I, I, thought if I followed you and, and, and trusted you and obeyed you, I mean, you're going to send a Messiah and he's going to do the... I, I don't, Lord, I don't feel like I'm asking for anything other than what I thought you said you were going to be doing. And silence. I, I'm repeating myself a bit here, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same line. So... So John sends his friends to Jesus to ask him, are you the one? Because obviously, while he knows better than anybody, there's no greater faith than his. He's just living with where he is in the world at that moment and saying, are, are you, you're it, right? And when Jesus sends the answer back, folks, I just... I, just believe with all my heart if we just kind of push these words aside this is what's actually happening and while they are miles apart they are now eye to eye when Jesus answers and he looks at John and he says yes I am and you have served well and you have been faithful and you're not getting out of jail His disciples didn't even realize what Jesus just said to John. You're not getting out. Hey God, where are you? Sure seems silent. I thought this was going to work out differently. You know, there's a great command that runs all the way through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. I, I like First Thessalonians 5.18, but it's a simple command and it's repeated hundreds of times. Be thankful. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks. That's a challenging word, isn't it? The word everything. You know, I think there are some people that struggle with being gracious. They can have everything under the sun and they're still not happy. Still a little bit grumpy, right? But I'm, I'm guessing a lot of us in here, we're grateful. And, and like me, you're grateful when it feels good and I'm happy and it helps me and it advances me and it makes me stronger and it makes me look better and it helps me to have fun. I mean, all those kinds of things and people in my life, very, very grateful for, very grateful. And I'll say thankful for that this Thursday. But that's not what 1 Thessalonians 5.18 said. It said, in everything... In all the circumstances that would really strongly suggest that God is not there and that if he is, he doesn't care or he certainly doesn't care about you. And, and everything in your life right now has brought you nothing but the silence of God in everything, in that moment right there. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. What's God doing in your life in 2016? What's a big place God wants to take you in the balance of this year? 
He wants to take you to that place that you can, in everything, give thanks. What is he, just kind of self-centered? Does he always just want the limelight on him, say thank you to me? Thank... No, folks, you know what gratitude does? It, it, it blows up our vision of God. When the circumstances around me are maybe helping me forget that God is good, that God is great, that God is working, it's, it's gratitude. It's constantly remembering and giving thanks for who he is and what he's like and, and how he has worked in my world. It's the constant giving of thanks. It keeps that faith there. I, I think to do this, th- th- there needs to be a spiritual truth that we, that we grasp. I, I like the way Isaiah presents it. I'm in Isaiah a lot right now. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, that, that distance, that's how much higher is my ways than yours, my thoughts than, than your thoughts. Now, folks, this passage is not saying that you and I are just not going to be able to ever see God, ever understand God, ever connect the dots in this world with God. No, no, that's why we have a Bible. There's a lot of places. Oh, that's what God is like. That's how he works. And that opens my eyes. Well, then that's God working right there. Well, that's God doing that right there. And, and, And so there's a lot of places that we can see the goodness and the greatness of God, how he's working in our life, how he's working in our world. But God is also saying to us here there are going to be some places and there's going to be some times there's going to be some some circumstances some situations where I'm going to be working in a way and you're just not going to be able to get it you you will not have the the capacity it's not a failure on your part it's not a lack of faith on your part it's not something wrong with you you just simply do not have the capacity to connect the dots on this one and see who i am and what i'm doing and if you stop and think about it it's not god playing cat and mouse with us that actually makes sense i mean do you want a god who can only work in ways your mind can grasp No, I I want a God bigger than what my mind can do. Now, that's easy to say, but then that means he's going to work in ways that are bigger than what my mind can do. That means I'm not going to hear what he's doing in this moment. I'm not going to see where he is in this moment. I don't like what he's doing in this moment. I can't connect the dots. But that's where God says, while I will work in this way, I work from the eternal. I work from the infinite. Your mind is very finite. Your mind is very temporal. So I'm I'm working with recipes that you don't even understand. While I work in that way, I'm still God. I am still working. I I still love you. Gosh, folks, think about that. I'm, I'm standing on this ground. The sun is 93 million miles away. And the heavens are like enveloped that, right? 93 million miles between me and and at least one level of heaven. And God says he's working in ways that are bigger than that gap. That's kind of cool. Until you're filling those 93 million miles in your circumstances, right? What keeps us holding on to God in that moment? Oh, it's faith. But gratitude feeds our faith. 
See, when I don't have a discipline of gratitude, and by discipline, folks, I love to break things down, make it simple and small, let's all try this. The discipline of gratitude is every single day of your life, you stop and acknowledge the goodness of God, the greatness of God, and you look through his word, a place to give him thanks. You think through the songs you sung and give him thanks. You look in your life and give him thanks when you don't feel like doing that at all. When you build that discipline every single day, guess what? You're propping up, you're feeding, you're fueling your faith. When you and I do not give gratitude, our faith gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in one of these 93 million mile situations and and the preacher says have faith and you want to but it ain't there gratitude entirely protects our relationship with God because gratitude is what feeds our faith and boy when my faith is fed shoot I got a chance to make God say wow Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. I thank you for your church. All of these instruments, these tools who, who let me know so much about you. Who tell me what to look for and how to, how to find it and how to experience you. And God, I thank you that when I open your word, you, you, there's a very loving, very uh, kind warning where you tell me, you're, you're going to do some things I'm not going to get. You're, you're, you're going to do some things I, I don't like because I can't, I can't understand why. I can't see how. Oh, Lord, I, I would pray for all of us right now in this room, all of those watching us through the Internet right now that are right now in this moment with their circumstances. They're somewhere in that 93 million miles. And they want to believe and they want to see you work and they, they want to understand and, and all they're feeling is the distance. All they're experiencing is the silence. Lord, you've, you've told us exactly how to walk through that moment. Lord, I would pray for myself, every person in this room, that for the rest of 2016, there would not be a single day that we do not stop and pause and give you thanks. Oh, Lord, I sure hope there's some days that, that five, seven, ten things just start rolling off our tongue. And Lord, for a day or two, or maybe that's not the case, give us the faith to stay there on our knees. Until we remember something your word has taught us about you. Something we heard in church or in a song or from a friend. And we don't get up off our knees until we can acknowledge how good and faithful you are. Oh God, help our, help our faith. How many times have I prayed that and then I've not done anything to receive the help you give me for my faith. Oh, may we be a people so very disciplined at gratitude. God, I want to make you say, I, I, I want to make you say, wow. And I thank you for John the Baptist. Who shows me that I'm not such a loser. I don't still have that opportunity. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.